0: Betches Media presents If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the
1: club. Gaspacho, Police. Oh, my God! What a stupid son of a He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches SUP Podcast. Diana sucker! Hello, and welcome to The Better Sub Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is The Better Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN reads the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we are back with frequent guest, ever more relevant guest, our most prescient guest, <laughs> among most prescient guests, co-founder of Run for Something, Amanda Littman. Hello. Thank you for joining us.
0: Anytime with one of my favorite Amandas in media. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, um, that's high praise because there are a lot of us. The 90s, late 80s, early 90s
1: kids. <laughs> yeah, a lot of us like eldest daughter is overly uh-huh. ambitious. <laughs> <The oldest laughs> yep, yep, four, you nailed it. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: We're going to talk about
1: a lot of stuff today, and for refreshingly, we're not going to talk all about Roe. We have some other tangentially terrifying stuff to talk about, but what has the summer been like? I mean, I feel like just it's been proof of concept for what you guys have been doing with so many people realizing
0: like, oh shit, this is really a local fight. You know, I think it's both really gratifying and really frustrating in the same space. Um, I am so thrilled that this has been run for something's like best recruitment year yet. We awesome. saw a huge spike of people signing up after the initial leaked um, Dobbs memo, uh dropped. We saw more when the decision came out. We have seen upwards of 30,000 young people sign up to run for office just in the last couple months. You know, that's amazing. And we're seeing a really like surge of engagement around these local offices and God, wouldn't have been better if we had been doing this five or 10 or 20 years ago. We wouldn't be in this mess if we had. So I am. Um, I love being right. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish we didn't have to be. Well, that's why I'm really excited to talk to you about the subject that
1: I keep teasing that we'll get to because this is an opportunity to actually do something that we won't be kicking ourselves later. But I wanted to start with a headline that I saw over the weekend and thought of you. I recently read that millennials and Gen Z, we make up about a third of the 2020 electorate, but millennials are only 7% of Congress. And I believe there's only one recently elected Generation Z rep. So I'm curious, like, is this aberrant for Congress? Has Congress always been ancient? And either way, like, is this a problem? Why is that? not great and a representative democracy.
0: Congress is so old. The average age in the House is 58. The average age in the Senate is 63. And I think it's worth noting, like, this is true across all levels of government.
1: We had Senator Kirsten Sinema on the podcast last week, and she herself volunteered a joke about how old the Senate is. And we were like,
0: damn, okay. It is, I think, the the most unfun country club in America. <laughs> like, it is it's just a bunch of old people for the most part. And I think that you know, we've seen this across every level of government. Fewer than 5% of state legislators are under the age of 35. Uh, 32 of Fifty governors are over the age of sixty. You know, your median school board member is fifty-nine. If you're fifty-nine, you probably don't have that many kids in the school system anymore. Right. So this is a, a both a pipeline problem and a leadership problem, and it's not new. And it has a huge impact on the way these folks govern. You know, it is <laughs> telling, and basically. Ba- Every single you know, big issue that they've made progress on has been at the pushing of young mm-hmm. activists. Climate change wouldn't have happened without young people leading the charge from the outside. Student debt relief wouldn't have happened without young people leading the charge from the outside. It would have gotten there faster if we had young people on the inside. Um, so I'm really glad to see Maxwell Frost become the first Gen Z member mm-hmm. of Congress down in Florida. He is such a star, um, and he's not going to be the last, quite obviously. Um but it's an issue when it comes to the outcomes we get in governance and it's when we've got to fix by getting more young people to run and then letting them lead. And that means sometimes older folks have to step away and that's okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you also posted something over the weekend that made me think a lot about something we talk a lot about on the show about how millennials, specifically millennial women, have been really mm-hmm. uh, maybe activated by pregnancy and and starting and starting a family. And you talked about how you've even started to notice that with people connecting, like student debt relief. You know, it's been very politicized, but people are smart enough to realize, you know, what that actually benefits them. Like they are smart enough to see, no, this is just helping me, like, start a whole new future for my kid. Well, you know, so
0: I am six months, six and a half months pregnant. I'm Yay. having my own little little baby girl slash second class, second class citizen, as I like to call her. Oh, no. <laughs> Either America. a future president or a second class citizen. Either way. So exciting. <laughs> Should we put that on a cute little onesie? Oh, it's so bleak. Uh, (laughs) I would love that Conversation starter. (laughs) But I feel like this is something that has really stood out to me in the spaces that I've been occupying online a lot lately of, you know, I'm in these different places of women do or people who are having kids and then around the same time. And almost to a T, it's, oh my God, I didn't really realize our family leave policies were so bad. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I didn't realize how expensive childcare was. (gasps) Oh wow, they just canceled $10,000 of student debt for me. I'm going to be able to afford childcare a little bit sooner than I Crazy. thought. And so it is deeply personal and this is true for a millennial woman for for really any young person thinking about starting a family or family planning. Like it is unimaginably expensive to have a kid, shockingly. And you know, I don't blame people for for putting it off or postponing it entirely accordingly. Mm-hmm
1: hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's no good time. And, you know, you're six and a half months pregnant right ahead of midterms. Let's just let's just hope she stays put until November 8th. I've warned my husband, you know, the election
0: might put me into labor a month early. And he oh, was like, gosh. Let her bake a little longer.
1: Yes. Yes, please. I mean, let's put that let's let's make let's make Democrats feel like they have that obligation to the currently pregnant people of America. Love it. We cannot <laughs> handle this dress. So we're all very invested in whether Democrats keep the house and the senate. Those are the like kind of like marquee headline you know the races that people pay the most attention to. But I want to hone in on all of the how all of these midterm elections could impact the 2024 presidential election because the things we're talking about now clearly like these Progressive policies or policies that Democrats tend to approve when they're in office tend to be the more popular ones. And there are really weird reasons why they're not surfacing into policy that need to be addressed. It it is, frankly, not as simple as, like, go out and vote. It's that's a huge part of it, but there also needs to be candidates to vote for. So to sort of preface this, I want we're going to talk about running for office and positions that impact the election and how the election is carried out. And for context, last week a House Oversight Committee report detailed really disturbing and violent physical threats against election officials across the country. So could you tell our listeners a little bit
0: more about what in this report stood out to you? Yeah. So the House Oversight Committee reached out to election officials in Arizona, Texas, Florida, and Ohio to find out like, what's going on with you. What are you seeing? What's, what are your needs? And what they came back with was incredibly terrifying. Um, Election offices have been confused. They've been overwhelmed. They've been trying to respond to a flood of somewhat malicious public records requests. They've been dealing with debunking myths. They've had to do increased voter education as the rules keep changing and as misinformation and disinformation keeps spreading. Um, The lies about election integrity have led to distractions for these offices. Like Every false allegation requires them to rebut it. They get angry phone calls. They get threats. Um, Alex Jones and Roger Stone quite literally doxed an election official in Florida by name. They publicized his phone number. They encouraged listeners to tell the supervisor in quotes, they are watching him. He is a piece of crap and these are their elections. Uh, In Texas, election official had his home address leaked, received threats telling him to leave the state and that he would be hunted down. Another message said in quotes, hang him when convicted for fraud and let his lifeless body hang in public until maggots drip out of his mouth. This is a vicious and terrifying feedback loop of bad misinformation and disinformation that then leads to violent death threats usually inspired by right-wing politicians and activists like the House Oversight Committee directly connects the dots here
2: mm.
0: and then it leads to <laughs> these election officials deciding that they no longer feel safe serving in the system you know the Brennan Center has found that one in 5 election officials are unlikely to keep serving through 2024 more than 75% have have these threats have increased which then allows bad actors to enter the space and actually create mm-hmm. some really dangerous situations mm-hmm. for democracy. Oh,
1: there are laws, I'm sure, against all of these things, but I can't help but think there needs to be more, and we're not going to get it until there's going to have to be a law named after somebody who was who was really brutally harmed because of this. <laughs> So we hear about terrifying local GOP candidates across the country who are getting nominated by their party on vows to undermine the next election. I mean, we hear it. I'll be I'll be honest too that sometimes it gets all overwhelming that I'm kind of like, I want this in one ear and out the other. Okay, the Arizona guy is crazy, the Michigan guys are crazy, the Pennsylvania guys are crazy. But you know, this isn't just gonna, this isn't sort of just gonna gonna go away. So These guys are getting elected on vows to undermine the next election and ensure their candidate ascends to the presidency, whether he gets the majority of votes or not. So what are they what are they getting ready for? What will election subversion attempts look like in 2024? Is it another assault on the Capitol or is it something else that's in the works now?
0: I think it's worth naming the scope of the problem here. Half of all Republican nominees for governor deny the validity of the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. It
1: still surprises me every time people say this stuff. I can't believe it.
0: It's. Horrifying. And even more broadly, I think if you look just at battleground states, the Washington Post did a big debrief. Yeah. And across the battleground states that you might say decided the 2020 election, um, candidates who denied legitimacy of that election have claimed two thirds of Republican nominations right. for offices with authority over elections. You know, even more broadly, it's something like 250 candidates out of 469 contests. More than half of Republican winners in mm-hmm. across 41 states deny the validity of the 2020 election. So. Whether or not they're in positions that oversee Mm -hmm. elections, they have a chance to undermine democracy. So, you know, 2020 was um, a dangerous and violent mob storming the Capitol. We have already seen in 2021 and 2022 what happens when local election officials do not believe in the 2020 election. Yeah. You know, in Otero County, New Mexico, which is a Republican community. um, Three county commissioners refused to certify the results of the primary until the state Supreme Court ultimately ordered them to do so or face removal or criminal charges. In three different counties in Pennsylvania, the county executives or county um, government is refusing to certify the results of the state primary, claiming that some of the ballots that were mailed in or the absentee ballots were invalid because of a a dating thing on the the envelope, which the courts have already said you have to count those ballots. Yeah. Um, litigation has already said you have to count them. They're refusing to do so, and that gives them the conspiracy theorists more ammo for the dangerous conversations they're having yeah. with misinformation. So when you look ahead to what happens both later this year and into twenty twenty four. It could be everything from making voters in an entire state re-register to vote, which some of the candidates for secretary of state have said they would do, Mm -hmm. um, to, to closing polling locations in communities of color, making it harder for people to access the polls. Uh, undermining faith in the technology used, uh, understaffing polling locations. You know, we talk about volunteering to work the polls. The people who manage those volunteers are election administrators. Mm -hmm. So there are so many different ways. This is both a blessing and a curse of a federalized election system to really fuck up the process Mm -hmm. (laughs) and undermine faith in it. And I do think it's worth calling out. It actually doesn't matter if it's happening in a state like Michigan or a state like Idaho. You know, Wyoming, just the Republican Party in Wyoming has nominated an election denier to be the Secretary of State. Um, They are, I believe, running uncontested in the fall, because Wyoming is not a place where a Democrat can really win statewide at this point. Mm -hmm. It's really dangerous to have someone like that running an election, even if it's a place that doesn't affect the Electoral College, because you only need one (laughs) to to feed the news cycle and feed the conspiracy theorists. And it sounds like this is something
1: that you know, filling these offices with candidates who are democracy friendly is that is a big is a big goal of yours. So before we get into that, I'm curious, are you pursuing this because Um, the Senate has failed to enact certain laws that could protect elections. And so we need to make sure to fill out those ranks. Or would this have added to that anyway? How would this enhance anything at the federal level? How are filling these offices necessary anyway? Can you kind of like tell us the story there?
0: We needed the federal legislation and we needed better federal legislation ultimately than even they considered. And we need more federal funding for elections, which is also true. And there are something like 5,000 local elected positions that oversee elections and another couple thousand that are appointed by elected officials. Mm-hmm. Federal legislation doesn't necessarily touch those yeah, positions. and okay. can't really cover especially non-federal elections. So when you think about as a race for governor, a race for school board, a race for county exec, you know, even a race for state legislature, we need pro-democracy people in these offices um, and we need federal legislation. We need a little bit of both or mm-hmm. a lot of both such that it is
1: hmm. Do you think people are fully aware to the risks, uh, everything you've been talking about to the next election and like how much it's going to take active opposition from us to stop them from, you know, stealing? I mean, I think, as you said before, it's great to be get the validation of how important these races are, but it would have been much better five to 10 years earlier. And I feel like that's the moment we're in now to just sort of because I feel like I've also heard terrifying stats that are like this many seats are running
0: completely unopposed. And that's t- that's terrifying. No, I think we're getting there. And it depends how you define people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think that there is a certain <laughs> amount of energy among grassroots activists among the people who have been newly engaged since 2016 or 2020 about these positions. And I think that the opposition that we are up against, which includes Steve Bannon, who goes on his mm-hmm. live stream and his podcast every day and talks about these offices and gives a platform to election deniers, um, to QAnon, which has pinned to the top of one of their main forums, like, run for these offices. Yeah, um, okay. You know, yes. it is far spread, it is well-resourced, um, the, the Republican mega donors are putting a ton of money into this, because this is how you build long-term sustainable power, and it's something the right is really good at. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to make up a lot of ground really quickly, and while we've been really fortunate to have, you know, really generous funders who've helped us support this work so far, we need more. We need it now. We needed it a year ago. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, We need to be ready because, you know, 2023, for example, is when Pennsylvania elects their election judges Mm -hmm. and they're people who oversee elections. Yeah. It's not an off year. No off years, no off weeks, no off months. (laughs) Absolutely not. As you said,
1: there are, you know, 5,000 sort of positions that that deal in this. Are a lot of them, you know, if people are thinking like, okay, shit, I need to sort of, I need to run for something, you know, Is a certain percentage of these things that you do when you also have a full-time job, are some of them a full-time job?
0: Is it a range? It's a range. And I think for a lot of these offices, it's um – some of them are called like county clerk, some of them are county recorder, some of them might be city clerk, some of them might literally be called like your election administrator. In some places, the gotcha. the role of administering elections gets covered by a bunch of different offices, including like the sheriff and the probate judge and the tax assessor who take up different pieces of it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is run by the county or city government. So... Um, all of these <laughs> are important. Um, all of them you can get trained to do. There's yeah. incredible organizations that will teach you how to do so. Um, 61% of the local election officials who are elected, which about half are, um, are elected in partisan elections. The other about 39% are in nonpartisan. Wow. Um, half of all local election officials are the only person in their office. So it's a it's a tough job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's worth noting that at least in 2020, a survey found 75% of them were over the age of 50, 80% were women, 90% were white. <laughs> so it is not really representative of who we're trying to reach as voters, both right. you know for Democrats, but more broadly for democracy. So we want to make sure that the people taking over these, these positions are ready to bring more folks into the fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it
1: sounds like some of the like aggressive attempts here it's like they do it with education where they're trying to make education so untenable that all teachers leave trying to make working for an election office so untenable that they all leave but there is there is a path here and it's actually like getting out and voting for somebody who's running so tell us like what is clerkwork
0: and what is what is your big campaign pursuing this uh clerkwork is run for something's program to recruit and support pro democracy candidates for local election administration roles Um, We are trying to get as many, you know, people who care about um, safe, secure, fair, accessible elections as possible into these positions where they actually administer these offices. We're doing this in every state that elects them, which is about 35 states. We're running this for three years. Um, And we want to make sure that there's first people on the ballot and then that those people on the ballot have the resources they need to run good, strong, meaningful campaigns.
1: And I just think not enough people know that that's an option for them, that like they're not in it completely alone and there is a path. And I I always remind people too that a lot of the people we stand now like didn't win the first time. And when we see people that maybe you know, got so close in their primaries. Like that is, that's part of the pipeline, right? Like losing is part of the pipeline.
0: You know, what happens on election day, you know, is really important. Obviously only winning is winning. (laughs) And um, election day is just one part of the, the civic engagement experience It's one part of the journey. Basically every person you ever have loved or have hated who's run for office has lost at some point in their careers. That includes President Barack Obama and Senator Bernie Sanders and everyone in between. That doesn't mean that they're bad politicians. It means, politics is a skill that you need more time and practice to get good at. And the way you get practice is by running. Um, The way you get started is by starting local. And when you join with Run for Something, you are part of a movement and you are not alone. We will be there for you every single step of the way.
1: Yeah. And for people who are really focused on repo rights as we all are, can you kind of talk about how some of these election offices would indirectly
0: or directly impact access to reproductive rights in your state? 100%. 100%. So, you know, election offices can determine how easy or hard it is for someone to be able to access the polls. Um, and if this is someone who is maybe has a lens in which they want to ensure that young women, and women of color, young uh, LGBTQ folks um, have a harder time showing up, that changes who's going to vote, that changes the outcomes. More broadly, all kinds of physicians can touch abortion access. Um, I think people forget about this. You know, school boards can Mm -hmm. make decisions about comprehensive sex ed, Uh, university and community college boards of regents or district boards or boards of trustees, many of which are elected positions, can decide how they're going to support students seeking uh, abortion care, reproductive care. Um, County offices and city offices can either facilitate people leaving their city, as um, folks in Austin are doing, can change what police prioritize. Um, they can create abortion funds like we have in New York. Um, they can help fund community health care senators or centers. <laughs> that would be great, too. Um, and even you think about the, the, the law enforcement stuff, we have seen a ton of movement among prosecutors and county attorneys and district attorneys who are saying, I'm not going to prosecute. Even if the state yeah. says that abortion is a crime here, like we've seen in Michigan, where um, Washtenaw County uh, Prosecutor Eli uh, Savitt has said, even if the state law says abortion is a crime, I'm not going to prosecute people who who perform it or who access it. And we've seen this in cities and counties in Texas and elsewhere. So every office can touch reproductive access. And, <laughs> you know, it really does come down often to zip code by zip code of mm-hmm. what your, your access is going to be like. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and they have there's that prosecutor in Florida, right, who basically was like, oh, no, you don't. These people to DeSantis was like mm-hmm. DeSantis is trying to replace him or did replace him with a Republican. But but the voters voted for this guy. That's that's, that's right. I I I haven't read that many books on
0: fascism, but I think that's part of it. I think that's part of the creep. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's deciding you don't like who's in charge so you yeah. change who's in charge without any any fucks to give about who the voters wanted. And he's mm-hmm. doing the same on school boards too, for what it's worth. He just suspended yeah. four members of the Brown County School Board and replaced them with political allies the kind of thing that it doesn't feel dangerous until it's really really dangerous mm-hmm.
1: yeah and I and I think that like you don't have to win every big seat in Florida to fix this. I think you just have to scare them like you have to signal that that's not that's not acceptable I think people that live in Texas and Florida maybe get like down like we've tried but uh, like you said, it's zip code by zip code and the less they see voters putting up with this, the less they're gonna try like we're already seeing, this we're already seeing, like that Blake Masters scrub his website from being anti-choice, so like that's not necessarily positive, but it can potentially roll back, you know, how aggressively they go after some of these things.
0: And at the very least, you should give voters an option. Like part of yeah. the, the point of a campaign is that a voter gets to decide what they believe and which candidate represents those beliefs. Um, and when we leave races uncontested, as seventy percent of local races do go uncontested, mm-hmm. that means that for a large number of these races, voters don't yeah. have an option.
1: Yeah. I wish, I know this would take like such a sophisticated system, but I do really wish that like I could get an email like your, this race is uncontested. We think you should know that before we just let that happen and go to the ballot and give, but you know.
0: Yeah. It's tricky because often you don't know it's uncontested until it's too late exactly. to run because of the way filing right. works. But you know, when people reach out to me and say, how do I know what race is uncontested? I say file. You can yeah. drop out if you don't want oh, to. Exactly. File. Put your name on the ballot. There's we'll a work- low
1: barrier to entry to just seeing seeing what the options are because you know somebody much with some conspiracy theorist who lives in his grandma's basement is he's not he's not worked up about it. He's like, I'll, I'll get caught trying.
0: <laughs> I promise you, the most mediocre or batshit <laughs> crazy person that you can imagine is going to put their name on the ballot. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
0: they're not working on their lesbian
1: dance theory paper. Absolutely uh-huh. not. No. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amanda. It's always such a pleasure to have you and get so much information on the state of things that is our show until the end of democracy. I'm
0: Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches SUP Podcast. Bye. The Betches SUP Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and send us your emails to SUPPod at
2: Betches.com. batches